Hi everybody and welcome. We're really glad you could join us this afternoon. Today we'll be talking about the skills and knowledge that drivers of assisted and automated vehicles need both now and in the future. My name's Elena Gardner and I'm the Communications Manager at Austroads. I'll be moderating today's session. I acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we're broadcasting today. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. So a little bit about Austroads. We're the peak organisation of Australasian Transport and Traffic Agencies. Our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. Austroads uses a program management approach to deliver its work and each program is focused on an operational area of the road system. The project we're discussing today was delivered under the Future Vehicles and Technology Program, which is managed by John Wall. So a little bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for 60 minutes today and then we'll have a Q&A session that will run for about 15 minutes. We do record all of our webinars and we'll email you once the recording is uploaded on our website. We also distribute our webinars via podcast and you can subscribe to our channel by searching for Austroads in your podcast app. Today's presentation slides can be downloaded from the handouts section in your sidebar. You'll also find in the handout section the Austroads report that this uh, presentation is based on. Uh, and if you're viewing this as a recording, you can download that report from our website for free. So please do send us any questions that you have for the Q&A session. You can use the question uh, section in your webinar sidebar to send us through your questions. It really helps us to answer your question and put it into context if you can include the slide number that your question relates to. And it can be helpful to have the slides um, to refer back to and just a reminder that they're available in the handout section. Also, if you have any technical issues uh, with today's session, please do let me know via the questions section and we'll try to help you out. If you lose sound or your picture freezes, that's probably a connection issue on your end. And so uh, the best way to approach that is to just close down and rejoin the session via the email link. Okay, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our five experts who are talking to us today. Um, we're first going to hear from John Wall. As I mentioned before, John's the Austroads Future Vehicles and Technology Program Manager, and he'll provide a quick overview of the program and how this work fits into the strategic objectives of the program. John is recognised as one of Australia's leading specialists in the application of intelligent transport systems for road safety. Professor Mike Regan will then provide a background to the project and its purpose. Mike has more than 20 years experience as a road safety researcher in Australia, Europe and the US. His research interests include driver interaction with automated vehicles, driver distraction and inattention, and human factors in road and traffic engineering. Mike has authored more than 250 publications, including four books. Mitchell Cunningham will share with us the findings of the literature review undertaken as part of the project. Mitch has collaborated closely with Professor Mike Regan for more than five years on a range of human factors related, related projects. Mitch has disseminated his research in top tier scholarly journals and at scientific conferences in the human factors field. Then Dr. Prasanna Prabhakaran will provide an overview of the stakeholder consultations. Prasanna has more than 10 years of experience in transport safety in both academia and government, focusing on how cognitive and attentional mistakes occur in road environments and how education and training can facilitate safer road users. 
His recent research explores the rise of connected and automated vehicles and its implications on human driver behaviour. Phil Wallace will then share the results of the training needs analysis. This is an area Phil specialises in, that and the design of high performance and safety critical training programs. For the past 23 years, Phil has worked as a learning consultant and researcher, largely in the fields of military aviation and public road users. So welcome to you all, it's great to have you with us. I'm going to hand over now to John uh, for an overview of the program. Thank you, Elena, and uh, good afternoon to everyone that's joined us this afternoon. Thank you for giving up your time to uh, drop in and listen to about some of the research that we're doing at Austroads in this area. Uh, this research is under the Austroads Future Vehicles and Technology Program, as Elena has previously mentioned. It's a new program for Austroads, only being established in 2019 in July, so we're just over about eight months old and building on the excellent work that was done previously by the Connected and Automated Vehicles Program. Um, our program has a vision that the members of Austroads will gain an understanding about how future technologies and future vehicles will improve their capacity to improve the services that we as transport agencies provide to the communities we serve. There are five program themes, connected and automated mobility, low and zero emission vehicles, physical infrastructure support, digital infrastructure support and member capability. And member capability is all around what sort of new skill sets will our workforce and our transport agents need to move into the future. This particular project actually sits in the automated mobility section or theme of our particular program. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, hand over to Mike Radin. So Mike, over to you. Thank you very much, John. Welcome everyone. I'll be uh, taking you through the uh, background to this project. Um, there are many new vehicle safety technologies that exist and are entering the market, and some of you may have these already in your vehicles. Um, They've been classified by the Society of Automotive Engineers, or SAE, um, as either driver support features, which are also known as uh, advanced driver assistance systems that support the driver in driving the vehicle, um, or as automated driving features that can drive the vehicle under limited conditions or in all conditions. These driver support features and automated driving features have been classified according to the level of automation that they provide, from uh, level zero, which um, entails no automation, uh, through to level five, in which the vehicle is fully automated and can uh, drive itself everywhere. Uh, Teslas, for example, um, have level two systems that can steer the vehicle and keep a safe distance from vehicles ahead on a freeway. And Mitch Cunningham will talk uh, shortly a bit more about these levels um, in his presentation. There are several background issues that prompted Austroads to want to commission this project. Um, one of them was a previous report that uh, concluded that um, advanced driver system systems and automated driving features uh, are likely to result in overall net safety benefits, but that new human factors issues associated 
uh, with misuse of automated systems are likely to uh, come about. And those human factors issues uh, include things like people over-relying on the systems, uh, being overloaded by system warnings and other things if they're not expecting them, uh, a loss of vigilance if um, they uh, over-rely on the system when they're meant to be monitoring it and start doing other things, um, inappropriate warnings that might um, uh, occur and um, either driver over or under trust in the systems. Another thing that Austroid uh, raised as a background issue was the fact that um, some on-road trials undertaken here in Australia, in, uh, in Melbourne, um, and uh, in the Netherlands in particular, had demonstrated some other issues uh, associated with level two systems, uh, that they vary between manufacturers in terms of performance, that the systems are described differently in owner's manuals, and that the capabilities of the systems aren't in fact uh, clear to drivers. They also highlighted the fact that there had been some recent fatalities in the US that have been directly linked to uh, driver over-reliance and misuse of vehicle automation. And one of the final issues uh, raised as background to the project and uh, as an impetus for the project was the fact that um, Registration and licensing agencies don't currently permit applicants to undertake a driving test in a vehicle with the advanced driver assistance uh, features turned on. And so that in itself um, is a bit of an issue in the sense that these systems are there actually to, to stabilise and protect people and yet they're being turned off. And so they wanted that issue explored a little further as well. So ultimately, um, there are two purposes to the research that we carried out as defined by Asteroids. The first was to, to research and examine the current state of driver education and training uh, for drivers of both light and heavy vehicles equipped with uh, ADAS systems ranging from uh, levels um, zero to three, which includes one level of um, automated driving feature, which is uh, at level three, and what's required, required to move to a future state uh, in the sense of um, the provision of education and training of, of drivers in using these systems. And then secondly, to determine where gaps can and should be filled by uh, registration and licensing authorities in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and then ultimately, um, to create a safer deployment environment for these technologies to ensure that drivers um, uh, know their roles in using these systems and that it's clear and to encourage those who are sort of currently uncertain of how to operate these systems, how they can be used uh, safely. Uh, so in terms of the scope, uh, the primary focus is on level one through three technologies and which we'll explain a bit further in a moment. Um, we did look at some level uh, zero technologies where we thought they should be in scope. Um, because of foreseeable education and training requirements. As I said, we looked at both light and heavy vehicles, um, and the focus was on the driver, um, not on the other pillars of the, uh, the so-called safe system. I won't go through this slide, but it's just intended to uh, give you a feel for the kinds of people uh, who we uh, talked to as part of this project. They include a very, included a very wide range of um, both um, government and industry uh, people. And uh, Dr. 
Prasanna Prabhakaran will uh, talk about um, who we talked to um, uh, during his presentation. And then finally, I just wanted to um, let everyone know that there were three key research activities that underpinned this, this project. Uh, the first was a literature review and web search that Mitch Cunningham will talk about in a moment. Um, stakeholder consultations that uh, Prasanna will talk about and uh, the training needs analysis um, which was undertaken by Phil Wallace and is to our knowledge the first time anyone has conducted a training needs analysis um, in this particular field. So I'll hand over now to Mitch Cunningham to uh, present to you the outcome of the literature review and web search. Thank you Mitch. Thanks for joining us um, everyone, good afternoon and thanks Mike to, uh, for passing on. So I'll be giving an overview of the main findings and outcomes deriving from the first main research acti activity for this project which is the literature review. And so as part of this activity we conducted an exhaustive search and review of three main sources of information. First we searched um, peer-reviewed scientific literature using a variety of large multidisciplinary databases that were accessible through the University of New South Wales. These outlets also helped expose grey literature including non-peer-reviewed research reports, government and industry documents etc. And our last search technique was, was through the, the web so general Google searches to help us uh, get access to vehicle manuals and other information about the vehicle technology. And through these means, we gleaned information to help us address um, the research objectives that Mike outlined just before. So the first topic we wanted to better understand in regards to what's being discussed out there in the literature was how the role of the driver is likely to change and evolve with our transition to higher levels of vehicle automation. And this is really building on the nice description Mike provided uh, around this before. And so as we navigate vehicles equipment systems ranging from level zero to two automated capabilities, as we are very much doing now, um, the driver will still be responsible for strategic trip planning and for undertaking some or all of the, of the functional driving activities, depending on what support they're receiving from the ADAS technology. But here the human driver is very much the active control and supported by these levels of vehicle automation um, and expected to be the active control of the vehicle throughout the entire trip. When we get to level three automation and above, this is where the vehicle is considered to be driving and the control of the vehicle uh, when the automated driving features are engaged. However, at level three, the driver must still um, drive the vehicle when requested by the vehicle and as such be expected to play the role of um, a supervisor and, and monitor the status of the ADS technologies as well as the unfolding road situation. When we get to our highest levels of vehicle automation, so levels four and five, the driver is now a passive observer. So here requests to intervene may be issued by the vehicle, take over requests, um, but there's no ex expectation that the human driver will be receptive to these requests. And there's no expectation for the driver to supervise or monitor the automated system, nor the unfolding driving task. So it's important to keep the, this in mind, um, the evolution of the driver's responsibilities when conceptualizing what appropriate training and education, how it might look um, in the future. And here we've outlined specific driving functions across different levels of automation as described by the SAE and some examples for each. Um, we, we, we detail these in the report, so I won't spend uh, time on these, but you know, these are just here for those that are sort of new to the area or to, or to jog people's memories. So we have lots of ADAS technologies entering and becoming increasingly prevalent within the market. And it's critical to know whether these drivers may actually understand 
what these technologies are and how to use them in the most uh, or in the safest way possible. And one of the important and surprising findings revealed through our review uh, was that many drivers don't fully understand the operating capabilities of these systems and, and many are finding themselves behind the wheel of a vehicle fitted out with technology for which they, they don't have any prior experience using. And while people tend to appreciate um, that ADAS and automated driving features don't fully replace the driver, uh, their, their knowledge and understanding of the specific capabilities and capacities of these technologies appears to be quite limited. As a result, it seems that we have lots of drivers that have limited knowledge of the technology prior to buying a car. And it seems that even if owners do read the manuals that come with the vehicle, um, this may only have a modest, if any, impact on one's understanding of the technology. However, on the bright side, we do have research suggesting that special training and education protocols, such as through live demonstrations or demos, um, can have a real beneficial impact on one's understanding about the technology. So there definitely appears to be a place for training and education in this space. So how do drivers currently get the necessary information and skills to operate the technology that's built into their cars? And one of the important findings that come out of our review is that drivers, despite having limited knowledge of ADAS technologies, um, they don't really seem too concerned about this and don't really feel too concerned about the need to, to learn to use them. And this is obviously an important attitude that would need to temper in order uh, for any education or training protocol to be successful. And while there are a number of ways, possible ways in which consumers may, uh, can receive education and training about ADAS technologies, our review suggests that predominantly um, drivers and consumers learn about new vehicle technology through trial and error. And this has been shown across multiple pieces of research. Other ways drivers try and learn about their vehicle's technologies through the internet, so Googling the issues, speaking with their, or consulting with their mechanic, reading the owner's manual and, and contacting the dealership directly. But again, it's important to reiterate here that many customers tend to resort to trial and error to solve the problems um, when they encounter a situation or and or behavior of the vehicle which they don't understand. And importantly, this is likely at the compromise of consulting more reliable sources of information. So that's how drivers currently tend to get their information and education around how to use the ADAS technologies in their vehicle. But ideally, how would they like to get this information? How might they like to receive training or education about their vehicles? And a recent study sought out to answer just this question and simply asked people what their preferences were. And as you can see in the figure here, the preference which garnered the highest endorsement uh, was for training and education to be provided by the dealership, with the lowest ranked preference being for training and education to be provided through a driver licensing authority, uh, Department of Motor Vehicles, um, in the US. And these findings have been replicated across uh, a few different studies with dealerships being consistently cited as the most desired method of training. Um, but not shown in this figure here, but other research also suggests that uh, there's lots of consumers out there that report a preference for the car to actually teach them how to use the technology it contains. So the car providing step-by-step -step instructions to the driver as they're using the system. So there appears to be a bit of a discrepancy regarding how drivers currently get the information and learn how to use these systems within their car and the ways in which they'd ideally like to get this information. Another important way in which drivers may receive the necessary education and training to safely and appropriately, appropriately use ADAS and automated driving features uh, is through registration and licensing authorities and, and the graduation, 
graduated licensing system. The main purpose of driver licensing is to contribute to the safety of, of all road users by all drivers satisfy minimum standards of driving skills. So it makes sense. So in this in mind, we wanted to know what information was out there and offered by local and selected uh, international road authorities in this space. For both light and heavy vehicles, we, we reviewed relevant driver licensing protocols and materials for all primary registration and licensing authorities in Australia, New Zealand and select international jurisdictions. We reviewed 11 in total, which are, uh, you can see on this slide. And what we found is that for both light and heavy vehicles, seven of the 11 authorities provided some type of information that was relevant to the training of to be learner or beginner drivers in using ADAS and automated driving features. However, content was largely centered around providing uh, a high level description of common ADAS uh, technologies, such as what they are designed to do, um, associated so safety benefits, et cetera. Technologies such as anti-lock braking systems, traction control systems, electronic stability control and emergency braking assist were mentioned across the licensing materials of numerous authorities. However, more critically, there appeared to be a lack of information about precisely how to use such systems in a safe and appropriate manner in these resources. When we reviewed materials aimed at drivers wanting to have a full license for both light and heavy vehicles, we found even less information. And I wanted to just illustrate an example of the, the type of information that we tended to find. So here, this is an excerpt from uh, a primary resource aimed at drivers wishing to get their learner license. Uh, this information is handy in letting the driver know that these types of ADAS technologies exist, but it's not much more than that. Hardly any information about how one might interact with such systems, the limitations of such systems, when and in what situations they should or can be used, etc. And we found this, this, this lack of detailed information was present, generally present across the board. In addition to better understanding how ADAS technologies work, uh, driver education and training may be useful in preventing and mitigating the misuse of ADAS technologies more generally. In this case, we describe misuse as an over-reliance on the capabilities of an automated system by the operator. And here, the critical thing is, is trust. If an operator or driver has too much trust in the automated system, this is believed to, believed to lead to uh, an over-reliance on and misuse of such systems. And this excessive trust can have a, a number of detrimental impacts on road safety. For example, trusting the system too much may lead us to use the ADAS technology or vehicle in circumstances um, they are not designed for or do not function 100% reliably in. Or if we trust the ADAS technology too much, we might not even monitor its status or how it is uh, going at all when we should be monitoring the system and supervising the system at all times. So while we do, of course, want drivers to trust ADAS technology because they have been designed and built to carry out a, a, a specific function and we want it to perform that function, it's also critical that we don't give them give it too much trust at this stage where safety might be compromised. And we're already seeing how this misuse of vehicle automation may pose a significant road safety issue today. For example, in reference to the May 2016 fatal crash involving a Tesla in Florida while on autopilot, the National Transportation Safety Board in their crash report concluded that the probable cause of the crash was driver over-reliance on the automation and its use on a road type that was outside of its ODD. That is, the use of the Tesla autopilot 
by the driver on a roadway that was not a limited access roadway. This level two system was not designed uh, to detect crossing path traffic, such as the truck that the Tesla fatally collided with. In this case, the driver may have incorrectly or overly trusted the system to operate safely under these conditions. Second, uh, and importantly, excessive trust in ADAS and automated driving features may lead drivers uh, failing to adequately monitor the road environment when they are enabled. If we believe, if drivers believe this technology is highly capable and more capable than they actually are, they may feel it's safe to engage in non-driving and other non-driving activities, such as playing on one's phone, reading, interacting with other passengers. Um, and, and this is all at the cost of paying sufficient attention to the road and driving environment. And we have a wealth of research that has emerged over the past five or six years or so, mainly from controlled experimental conditions that illustrate that drivers are really ill-prepared to respond to takeover requests by the, by the vehicle uh, when the automated driving system can no longer operate some aspects of the driving task, that is, when distracted. And we're seeing this in the real world too. This Tesla crash here on the right happened back in March 2017, with the National Transportation Safety Board ruling the crash, which happened during a period where the autopilot was activated, was likely due to driver distraction. Specifically, the vehicle was operating down a highway in, in California, and, and the driver was likely distracted by a gaming app on their mobile phone that prevented them from recognising uh, that the autopilot had actually steered the car into a gore area of the highway that was not intended for vehicle travel. So we're seeing in both controlled conditions in the lab and, and starting to see uh, in the real world that misusing these systems can have detrimental safety impacts. And this is largely deriving from um, theoretically an excessive level of trust in the system. So it's clear that you know, this issue needs to be addressed and trust may need to be normalized somewhat. So the natural question then is whether special training and education about ADAS technologies may actually be useful and will it con contribute to improving safety? And we're starting to see these types of questions, research questions, answered experimentally, particularly over the past few years. And I want to highlight one study in particular from the report, one of the more scientifically robust uh, studies, in my opinion, and, and one with a larger sample size. And here, Pear and, 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 and colleagues examine the impact of driver training in the use of adaptive cruise control combined with lane keep, keeping assist. So here, an SAE level two ADAS technology. And, and the impact of this training on drivers' ability to respond to takeover requests, sudden takeover requests by the vehicle. And in the simulated driving study, a total of 113 participants were split into two groups. One group received what they called simple training. So here they were given minimal practice in the, in the driving simulator, which included a bit of manual driving and a handful of instances of activation and deactivation of the automated driving system. And so this went this went on for about you know only five minutes. The other group received what they called elaborated training or elaborate training. Here drivers uh, read about how the automated driving system worked and then they were quizzed on this knowledge. They then watched a, a short tutorial video, so a video that only went for a minute and 42 seconds, I believe, um, about how to respond to a takeover request from the automated driving system safely. And then lastly, they got the chance to have a practice drive in the driving simulator for five minutes, so similar to the people in the, sim, in the simple training group. So more training components for this latter group all up. 
Drivers were then put in their simulated drives and, and through the journey, they were exposed to a number of sudden automated system failures. So these events were unexpected and the driver was expected to resume manual control of the vehicle. A number of metrics were measured, but perhaps uh, the most important of them was response time and how long it took drivers to successfully resume manual control in these critical automation events. Results uh, depict that drivers who received a higher level of training, so those in the elaborated training group, showed improved response times to manually intervene in the event of an emergency takeover request, and also showed much lower maximum response times, which may be of particular relevance to safety. Given the response time is such an important metric and indicator of whether a, a crash is likely to occur, the potential safety benefits of training and education here are, are highlighted. And when we think of it, this elaborated training wasn't really wasn't that elaborate with a short video, some reading and a short practice. Drive. But importantly, it seems it was enough to have a significant uh, beneficial effect on a critical on responding to a critical driving um, event. So this could suggest that such simple training could have a beneficial effect on um, a critical driving outcome, such as response time and dealing with those events. So I'll now pass on to Prasanna to uh, discuss some of the findings from our stakeholder consultations. Thank you for your time. Okay, thanks Mitch. Um, so as mentioned, I'll be talking about the stakeholder consultation uh, research activity that we conducted as part of this project. Um, the consultation was conducted as a research activity to complement uh, the literature review um, to capture any aspects that might not have been exposed. Uh, we conducted this uh, activity between February and April of 2019 and as you can see we spoke to a wide group of stakeholders uh, from government to uh, advocacy groups, education and training associations as well as insurers and OEMs. The consultation process gave us uh, insight into the current uh, driver education and training context that we were working in. One of the key challenges that was identified by stakeholders was the sheer diversity of, of the vehicle fleet. Um, one stakeholder identified that there was around 350 different vehicle makes and models in the Australian market. So in terms of uh, functionality, the human machine interface and operating procedures, even within the same year models of the same brand, there was vast variability in terms of the ADAS and ADF technologies that are currently deployed. And stakeholders saw this as a major challenge in being able to provide any generic education and training. One of the most noteworthy factors was that the traditional vehicle ownership model is rapidly changing at the moment with the emergence of car sharing, ride sharing and subscription based services. And so this was highlighted um, that these users as well need to be considered when we're thinking about education and training and how that might be employed. In terms of driver knowledge uh, about these systems, uh, stakeholders reported that very little is known about what drivers understood about current ADS and, and ADF systems, um, both in general as well as what's in their own vehicles. Uh, according to some stakeholders interviewed, there appears to be confusion within the community about what ADAS do and what they don't do, and the associated technology deployment timeframes. And this was a consistent finding with um, what Mitch mentioned in the literature review. But whether any confusion or a lack of knowledge or understanding of these technologies is having any significant um, 
impact on safety has not been evaluated by the stakeholders and um, nor was it gleaned through the literature review. Next, we looked at what information and material was currently provided by stakeholders in terms of education and training of these technologies. And Mitch highlighted uh, a number of avenues that we explored and um, we found that many stakeholders had some education and training related material to end users, um, both in government and in industry. But notably, it was not delivered in any apparent coordinated way. So there was no overarching framework or body who determined who should be doing what in this domain. Um, material currently provided by stakeholders primarily was aimed at promoting um, a high level understanding of how the ADAS works and to a lesser extent limitations, as well as high level descriptions of the roles and responsibilities of drivers. However, there was uh, inconsistencies identified in terms of the terminology and messaging used in the education and training material. And again, this was a consistent finding with um, what we found from the literature review. Um, in terms of uh, the opportunities for formal education and training, stakeholders identified three main touch points um, and they were uh, around point of sale of the vehicle through the driver licensing and testing process and the post license education uh, system. Um, we found that one uh, driver training organisation interview provided formal training around the use of ADAS, both for light and heavy vehicle drivers, and this was incorporated into their advanced driver training program. Uh, in terms of heavy vehicles, we also found that heavy vehicle operators as well as heavy vehicle OEMs uh, reported providing some training to uh, drivers. Uh, however, anecdotally, uh, we did get reports from OEM driver education units that some heavy vehicle drivers did not understand the ADS system that were employed in their vehicles. Um, I think in all of these cases, uh, it's important to note that there is little known about the extent uh, or the impact of these, these training interventions and, and how they're um, being uh, incorporated. When we looked at um, formal education and training for used cars, we found very different issues were exposed. Um, one stakeholder reported that around 80% of vehicles that are purchased in Australia are used cars, with more and more people purchasing second-hand vehicles over the internet. Um, at present, there are very few mechanisms uh, that are currently in place for providing these drivers with information about ADAS and ADFs. As you can see in the second dot point, uh, a number of possible options for the delivery of driver education and training for used car buyers was uh, proposed, uh, including uh, registration and licensing agencies to web-based simulations. Uh, in terms of uh, used car issues around education and training, fleet managers also faced similar challenges in educating, in educating um, and training drivers that move in and out of uh, different vehicles regularly. Um, Mike touched on this uh, with regards to the current on-road testing policies. Um, we found that uh, most jurisdictions actually prohibited the use of ADAS and ADFs during uh, testing for learners. And the rationale for this was that the use of the technology would not allow for the true assessment of competencies of drivers without any assisted technology. However, RLs did uh, identify significant operational issues with the existing policy ranging from whether an assessor uh, could tell if a technology was turned off or not, 
um, and also around the current policies not being uh, clearly communicated to customers. However, one licensing authority, Vic Roads, um, was understood to be reviewing this policy. Um, speaking to customer preferences for obtaining information, the consultation found that there was very little research that had been undertaken by stakeholders uh, to identify consumer preferences to obtain information. Uh, and again, this is this is consistent with the findings that there was very little uh, with the literature review findings. Uh, stakeholders suggested that uh, local customers prefer vehicle and technology information at point of sale. And anecdotally, they said that um, they prefer it in a hands-on way by experiencing it firsthand um, and then being directed towards websites for further information. However, it was also reported by the stakeholders that consumers are reluctant to spend too much time being educated in the use of these technologies at point of sale. And so there was somewhat um, inconsistent findings with this, um, even though the literature review seems to suggest that um, learning through dealerships is the preferred way to learn. And it was one of the most common ways people actually did learn about their technologies. In terms of uh, the future roles, one of the overarching aims that Mike mentioned uh, of this project was to examine the role um, that RNL agencies might undertake to ensure that licensed applicants are competent in the use of ADAS uh, technologies. Um, from an industry perspective, uh, RNL agencies are seen to have a role in the delivery to end users uh, in terms of assessing a learner's ability to use technology safely in the real world but also to ensure that consistent terminology and messaging around the provision of education and training material. Uh, it was also suggested that for heavy vehicle licensing, RNL agencies would also play a role in making sure that drivers were capable of controlling uh, their heavy vehicles um, where, with regards to the ADAS and ADF technologies that are mandated by the Australian design rules. In terms of the role um, that RNLs would play, one, one agency interviewed believed that before any um, regulatory burden was placed on uh, customers or governments, that there was a fundamental need to identify whether a lack of education and training uh, was actually increasing, uh, was actually resulting in an increased crash risk. Um, and that was a, a common theme that, that came out that interventions need to be done in a systematic way. Uh, so RNL agencies also suggested um, that their role, any role that they might have in this domain should be uh, defined in consultation with the uh, National Transport uh, Commission's proposed safety assurance system for automated driving systems to ensure that they arrive at similar policy outcomes. Uh, the RNLs also believed that in order to ensure national consistency, it was best led at a national level. And specifically, it was proposed that an entity such as Osroads, in partnership with the NTC, would be appropriate uh, organisations to lead this effort. In terms of the future roles uh, that RNL agencies may play, it was proposed that in the context of current driver licensing frameworks, there were four foreseeable information gaps uh, that they may fill in the absence of any um, mass crash data. Um, and these, these gaps specifically included increasing driver confidence through the provision of general information about these technologies, 
reducing community fears and apprehension towards these technologies, reducing potential risk and harm by putting in place reasonable measures such as general information and materials through websites, and also educating driver instructors and supervising drivers on these technologies to be able to pass on this knowledge to learners. Uh, the, in terms of the implications of this project, uh, the NGC believes that the outputs will be useful to inform the review of the national enforcement guidelines on proper control when they're reviewed. Um, and more generally, the report is seen to provide the NGC with guidance on education and training required to enable drivers of SAE level three vehicles to resume proper control when necessary. Uh, the outcomes of the project are also identified to assist the Vehicle Safety Standards Branch of the Federal Government in terms of how the implementation and the application of the proposed safety uh, assurance system will take place. Okay, so that uh, concludes my section of the stakeholder consultation uh, research activity. If you wanted more information on that, um, please jump to chapter three of the report. Uh, I'll now hand over to Phil Wallace to uh, report the findings of the training needs analysis. Okay, thank you, Prasanna, and good afternoon. Uh, when we talk about training needs analysis, we need to consider it in uh, relation to the other aspects of a training cycle. And we often talk about uh, the ADDIE cycle, which is analyze, design, develop, implement, and evaluate. So this, uh, our study was just about the analyze phase of that cycle, uh, which is about understanding the learning and assessment uh, needs uh, related in this case to ADAS and ADFs. It's not about design, it's not about coming up with a curriculum, just understanding the needs. So we have to start with what is safe driving with ADAS and ADF. And uh, to do that, we looked at the tasks that are involved in it and criteria for safe driving. We then have to ask what can be expected of a typical driver. And we have heard from the previous speakers that uh, of the sorts of uh, characteristics of the typical driver. We then have to ask, well, are there performance gaps between what can be expected and what is needed? We haven't got a lot of good crash data to understand the significance of those performance gaps. And so we did a risk analysis and said, what is the risk of gaps causing injury? We then looked at options to address the gaps and evaluated the options to identify learning and assessment strategies that could be employed. And finally, we looked at implementation issues. So the driving context and the typical driver, as we've said, we're looking at the Australian and New Zealand driving contexts and, and drivers seem to have some reluctance to use ADAS and don't have a lot of knowledge. We can't be sure of that. Some individuals may, but others won't. We're looking at a range of uh, systems as well. Um, and we're, we're specifically interested in those that are uh, either within the current Australian design rules uh, or are used as criteria for ANCAP ratings or are likely to be within the coming two years. And this was at the time the study was conducted last year. We then looked at tasks. Uh, we first looked at generic tasks uh, that could be considered in relation to any system. And the actions we were looking at are operate, monitor, and take back full control. 
from the system. We then looked at system-specific tasks. <coughs> In order to do this, uh, we identified actions that might need to be taken, operate, respond, mistrust, deactivate, and resume control. And we assessed those in terms of 12 categories of systems. And they're all defined within the report. Now you might think, well, five actions against 12 types, that could, should give us 60 specific tasks. But of course, some of those actions don't apply to all systems. And so we ended up with 42 specific tasks. Taking one of those tasks, monitor operation of pedestrian uh, automatic emergency braking. The safe performance criterion was unsafe circumstances are identified. A typical driver is probably familiar with AEB, but not system specific limitations, such as the speed at which uh, the system cuts out. So the, there could be a gap of identification of when not to rely on that system. We then used scenarios to uh, do the risk analysis. The illustrative scenario here is that the vehicle doesn't break through AEB at low speed in a car park and a pedestrian is hit. And there have been reports of this happening. The consequence we assessed as moderate, minor injury, low speed. The likelihood, it's unlikely, but it may happen. And from that, we identified a risk level of medium. In the appendices to the report, we have a risk matrix that shows for different levels of consequence and, um, and uh, likelihood what the associated risk level would be. The risk levels we used were low, medium, high, and extreme. These are clearly just relative uh, levels, uh, but they help us to prioritize the need to address uh, identified performance gaps. So we then uh, looked at what options do we have? So down the left-hand column, we can see option of doing nothing, status quo. We can then move to trying to address performance gaps through public education programs, through optional knowledge and or skills training. So that might be uh, some sort of documented uh, training at dealerships or demonstrations. It could also be online materials as uh, are made available uh, through insurance agencies and transport departments at the moment, or it could be through driving schools. Then we move into the mandated area. We could have mandated learning programs, although at the moment there are no mandated learning programs for light vehicles uh, for, uh, to get your license, uh, but there are for heavy vehicles and uh, mandated assessments. How do we select these options? Well, if we move it move along to medium risk and the example we just had of pedestrian AEBs, um, the AEB was medium risk. So the second box there, public education programs, uh, the AEB fits into that category of uh, AMCAP uh, systems. And so we would look at uh, using a public education program or, or recommend that uh, through maybe existing programs. We're not necessarily suggesting that a new program would be developed. And also optional knowledge and or skills training. The uh, first box under medium risk, other ADAS ADF, that's for other systems that are not part of the ADR or ANCAP program. If it was high risk, then it would again, and it was an ADR or ANCAP uh, system, 
standard public education programs would apply, uh, optional knowledge and skills training, but now we would also suggest mandated learning programs for use. If it's extreme risk, then we go same again, but now we also include mandated assessment. So what did we find? In terms of medium uh, risk for AEBs, as I mentioned, we've suggested that uh, information or the, the, uh, be provided uh, knowledge, skills and behaviours related to the performance gap through public education programs and through optional knowledge and or skills programs. For in relation to high risk, we identified speed assistance systems and ABS BAS, and uh, electronic stability control and we've suggested that they be uh, the performance gaps be addressed through public education programs, optional knowledge and or, or skills training, and through mandated uh, learning programs. Now that only applies to heavy vehicles because that's the only mandated learning programs currently in place. For extreme risk, we've identified uh, extreme risk in relation to lane support systems, and uh, we've suggested public education and knowledge and or skills training. Uh, but at the time of the study, these systems were not part of ADRs, so they were part of ANCAP, but not ADRs, and so we didn't go past that. And in fact, no ADR systems were identified as having extreme risk, and so no mandated learning programs uh, or uh, assessment was recommended. Just going back to the generic behaviours, Generic behaviours would be included in any program where we're addressing performance gaps for a system. So there are all of those levels above do nothing up to, but not including uh, mandated assessments. The sorts of general knowledge and behaviours we identified were knowledge of the safety benefits and behaviours of maintaining vigilance. Also a willingness to use ADAS ADF when appropriate. Some implementation issues, uh, other things we identified were uh, in, with some systems that had high or extreme risks were suggested monitoring of the crash data, uh, specifically looking at these to see if the, uh, the data does tell us there are particular problems with performance gaps that need to be assessed, uh, addressed through learning and assessment. And with that, I'll hand over to Mike. So thank you, Phil. Um, there are a number of uh, conclusions that we can uh, uh, draw from this study and uh, I'll take you through those in finishing this uh, presentation and these are discussed in uh, chapter 5 of the uh, report for people who want um, more information. Um, in terms of the current state of driver education and training um, we can conclude that there are many level 2 ADAS systems that are coming onto the market um, and there are even uh, a couple of level 3 uh, um, automated driving features um, uh, emerging in a, in a couple of vehicles um, that we know of around the world. Uh, we know that the knowledge around the limitations of these systems though is limited, um, following on from the literature review and the stakeholder consultations. Um, and we, we know that vehicle buyers prefer to receive training through dealers, but most use trial and error uh, to learn about ADAS systems. And few mechanisms are currently in place for providing uh, drivers and owners of used vehicles uh, with information um, about the technologies in their vehicle. 
High-level descriptions of ADAS systems are available on many websites, as we've heard. However, information on the safe and appropriate use of such systems uh, is lacking. Um, and education and training-related material provided to end users, as we heard from um, Prasanna, is uh, uncoordinated across uh, organisations and jurisdictions. And he also made note of the fact that the use of terminology and messaging um, across organisations and um, across content is also inconsistent. There's evidence that misuse of ADAS systems can lead to crashes and that it has led to crashes, even though we don't have a mass accident, um, a mass crash base on which to make decisions at the moment, uh, we know that they're starting to happen. Um, we also can conclude from the review of literature that uh, the control of automated vehicles will require a, a different set of knowledge, skills and behaviours than we've had in the past. Um, and even now we have um, a different set of uh, knowledge and skills that we uh, had, say, 20 years ago, because 20 years ago people were having to drive manual, manually controlled vehicles. Uh, there were no automatic transmissions, um, or maybe a bit longer than that. And we've heard from Mitch that there's evidence that some form of driver training using automated systems prior to driving will improve driving performance and calibrate people's uh, level of trust compared to no training at all. In terms of the current driver licensing framework, um, we concluded that there's no need to review or change the current driver licensing framework um, uh, in, a, in a structural regulatory sense to address gaps in driver competency when operating vehicles equipped with these uh, systems. Um, and as Phil uh, mentioned during his presentation, we recommended ongoing monitoring and review of the evidence base um, to help identify uh, when and if future changes to the licensing framework are justified, again, in a structural and um, regulatory sense. Um, we did conclude and do conclude that RNL authorities in Australia and New Zealand nevertheless do have an important role to play in the learning and assessment of the use of uh, the technologies that we talked about um, by both light and heavy vehicle drivers and the initiatives that were proposed that um, come predominantly uh, out of the TNA but are supported by the other research that's been reported um, would be to encourage generic behaviours uh, such as the adoption and appropriate use of these systems because they do have important safety benefits if used appropriately and to avoid um, misuse and over-reliance on The specific ADAS technologies uh, proposed to be focused on at this stage, as mentioned by Phil, are those included in the Australian design rules and um, uh, which uh, attract bonus points under the Australasian New Car Assessment Program um, and comparable technologies for heavy vehicles. And uh, Phil didn't go into all of the specific knowledge, skills and behaviours required for safe operation of these and other systems, but you can um, find all of that information uh, in, the, in the report itself. As Prasanna mentioned, uh, the project findings will also provide the NTC with guidance on education and training required to enable drivers of uh, level three vehicles to resume proper control when necessary. And uh, finally, um, 
we did identify eight areas for further research. Um, you can find those uh, in the report itself, um, including a study to identify ADAS that may be permitted to be turned on during license testing without compromising um, the validity of on-road um, tests. Because as I mentioned before, uh, those are systems that would protect both uh, the, the vehicle licensing license testers and uh, and the uh, the trainee driver in the event that something went wrong. Uh, so they're there to provide uh, safety uh, outcomes. So on that note, I'd like to um, uh, hand back to Elena to handle uh, any questions that you might have. I'd like to thank everyone uh, who has joined this uh, webinar because we don't know who's out there. But I'd also like before handing back to Elena to acknowledge the contribution of one of our co-authors, uh, Dr. Joanne Bennett, who um, uh, wasn't able to join us today and she sends her apologies. So thank you very much, Elena. Great, thank you very much, Mike. That's um, terrific and thank you to all of our presenters and to everybody who sent in questions. We do have a, a large number of questions and we will try and get through as many as we can. But if we don't get to answer your question um, verbally today, we will certainly uh, prepare a Q&A sheet and we'll send that around to all of the participants. So we'll respond in writing if we don't uh, get to your question today. So the first uh, question relates to slide 24. So I'll just take us there. And there's, there's a few questions uh, that relate to this. And so um, the first is, I, I suppose it's a statement to see um, if you agree with this, but there is a real need to advise that vehicles can alternate between different levels. So the role of the driver can vary across one trip. Would you agree with that? Uh, Mitch, would you like to make it's Mike here? Would you like to make a comment on that? I can certainly endorse that comment. Uh, there's no doubt that in the current uh, state of play, vehicles can alternate between those levels precisely because, as Mitch mentioned, um, uh, the vehicle might be um, able to uh, operate in one uh, domain or operational um, domain. Uh, but not in others. So if it can't operate um, in autonomous mode in one domain, um, then the driver has to take back uh, control. But then it might operate at level two uh, when they get back onto the highway. So, um, so I agree. It's an accurate statement. Yeah, and I fully endorse uh, what Mike said. And if we uh, turn back to the slide where with the Tesla and the autopilot crash, um, that is exactly the sort of consideration that, that, that you, you've just brought up and, and that this Tesla can operate on at, at level two while on a limited access roadway, um, but, but it can't operate on level two when it is a limited access roadway. So yeah, it, it would alternate with the same journey, absolutely. I should have mentioned that. Right. Um, look, the, there's another question that relates to this slide, which is um, how do these sorts of vehicles allow for road maintenance? So perhaps where there's no lines marked on the road um, at the time that the, the vehicle is travelling on it. I think John Wall maybe could comment on that. Would you like to comment on that, John? Um, look, I, you know, currently the vehicles that are used systems, um, like the 
all of them, I think, are using camera systems in production vehicles at the moment. They do require um, information on, on line marking, so they detect line marking. But I do note that some of them have been for non-production vehicles, so the test vehicles like the small Navier shuttle buses and those sorts of things actually have high-definition maps that they're following. So even if the lane markings aren't there, they follow their high-definition map and they use LIDAR and other things to indicate or to understand where they actually are on the network. So line markings at the moment for most of uh, the Level 2, well, for all the Level 2 vehicles available, and there's not that many of them, uh, do require line marking. Uh, but in the future, we may see that replaced with vehicles that use LIDAR. And I noticed that Volvo only a couple of days ago have just announced that they'll be having a production Volvo, I think in 2022, that will be using LIDAR laser as well as cameras. So uh, watch this space, I think. Great, thank you. Um, so next question relates to slide 25, which is the next one over. So what is the highest level of automation that we have at the moment? And is there a timeline for these systems to be uh, brought into, into vehicles that are available? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. If I could grab that mic um, for a sec. Um, the, Audi, the Audi A8 was meant to be the first level three vehicle available. That was going to be available in Germany and could only be on used on roads with very specific parameters. So uh, up to a maximum speed of 65 kilometres an hour. So essentially in a traffic jam situation and where there were solid barriers on each side of the travel lane. Audi pulled out of that last week. So at the moment, the only production vehicles we have are vehicles at a level two. Uh, obviously, uh, Tesla, probably the top of that at the moment, but other vehicles like Mercedes, Volvo and others have similar sort of um, capabilities. Uh, we do have non-production test vehicles like the Navia Easy Mile and other little shuttle buses that people may have seen trialled around their jurisdiction. They would be classified as a level four vehicle at this stage, but they're not production. You can't go out and buy one in the showroom today. Great, thank you. Um, so I've got a couple of questions that relate to slide, slide 28. Um, so the first one is, uh, does this only apply to new vehicles or does it also consider second-hand vehicles? I think that'll be you, Mitch. Uh, in, this study, <clears throat> in this study, there was a national survey, I believe in the US, and participants were asked about how they learned about ADAS in prior purchases and then also about their preferences for learning about ADAS in future uh, purchases. So whether or not the, the, the participants were, so, so it does pertain to new new purchases, the, these preferences and new cars. Great, thanks. And another question that relates to this slide is, were the customers in, in that um, research given the option of some type of um, simulation, such as a website offering um, a simulation that provided uh, the types of events where ADAS would operate? Or was it simply a, a sort of a, a preference? Um, 
Yeah, it was just from my understanding, it was just a preference survey. So they were simply asked, you know, all these these are all different ways of of uh, getting information in education or training about an ADAS. You know, rank them from one to eight, something like that. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mitch. Okay, so the next question uh, relates to the next slide, slide twenty nine. And it's, uh, how did road authorities provide the information? Was it on their websites or in learner handbooks, for example? Yeah, I'll take this one. Um, so this was through both. So we searched websites, we searched what any resources, booklets, PDFs that those authorities recommended or required drivers to consult um, and read all their driving tests or to get a license. So we looked at both. We looked at all the manuals, materials, general uh, messages on the on the websites and any other resources that the websites or the authorities directed us to. Great, thank you. I've got a couple of questions that relate to slide 37. Um, so this is uh, both in relation to slide 27 and 37. Um, but with ADAS features now appearing on base model cars commonly found in rental car lots, what should um, rental car companies be doing to provide information to customers who may have just landed in a new country about this sort of um, equipment on their vehicles? Should the duty to customers include all features being switched on at the time of rental? Uh, Prasanna, this is your slide, but I suppose Phil might be able to make a comment about this um, as well, if you if you have a comment. Um, well, not specifically, uh, we recommended that uh, where there are identified performance gaps and uh, significant uh, risks associated with them, then there should be or an attempt to uh, reduce the performance gap through optional training and uh, programs and educational programs, which could be provided uh, through rental agencies. And this was a recommendation that it sh should happen, but of course, it's, uh, there's no uh, suggestion that uh, it should be mandatory. Great, thank you. Um, so another question uh, that relates to this slide is uh, what were the outcomes of the New Zealand stakeholder consultations? Was there anything specific? I think that'll be for you, Prasanna. Um, I mean, the, the, the findings of, of uh, each of the stakeholders is, is listed in, in, in Chapter 3, so I, I, I couldn't give you specific, New Zealand-specific um, responses. Um, but, you know, at a high level, there was high degree of um, concordance between the, the uh, registration and licensing authorities. So the, the information that was presented throughout the consultation is quite consistent across agencies. Okay. Uh, so we'll go to... I could make another question. Mike there, I could yeah. make another comment too. We were also asked to look at uh, whether uh, Australia and New Zealand, um, where they're sort of sitting in relation to the provision of um, education and training in this space compared to other jurisdictions around the world. And, and we did conclude that um, 
we're, we're no, by no means uh, behind the rest of the world. I think we're pretty much on a par, and if anything, we're, we're maybe even a little more advanced in this space in, in terms of providing information. The only area in which uh, the US seems to be a bit of a, ahead of us is in the area of testing. We did expose, just as we finalised the report, a, um, a report that had come out of the US by an agency over there, I can't remember the name now, where um, they were providing guidance on uh, the testing process and, um, and how that should proceed when um, uh, vehicles contain uh, ADAS uh, technologies. So I just thought I'd mention that. Thanks. Thanks. Um, and just while we're here, did uh, insurance companies have any input into the process? Persona? Yeah, they did. You'll, you'll see on that slide that you've got there that um, we got uh, we consulted with both IAG and Suncorp, and so their uh, their feedback is is listed in um, industry as as industry um, in the in the report. Great, thank you. Um, so I'll take us uh, to slide fifty nine and. Um, the question is, what's the responsibility for vehicle dealers and OEMs to provide training versus the road authorities? Where does the delineation sit, do you think? Uh, Phil, maybe that's one that you might like to uh, comment on. Uh, well, we made our recommendations for consideration by the road authorities. Uh, we weren't suggesting that they necessarily do it, but they, it may be that in uh, that they, uh, and we suggest in fact that they encourage uh, agencies who currently uh, provide uh, the various levels of uh, education and training uh, to, to uh, address the performance gaps that we are identified. Um, but that is really a policy matter for uh, the agencies rather than a part of the training needs analysis. Great. Thank you. Look, I think that, that we're right on um, the dot of, um, of the hour and a quarter that we allocated for the session. So we'll wrap it up. Um, thank you everybody for those um, questions. We have lots and lots of questions, so I do apologise if we weren't able to get to them, but we will certainly respond to them in writing. Uh, so just before we wrap up, I did want to just uh, let you know about the upcoming um, Austroads webinars. Um, there's a, a whole group of um, webinars coming up, uh, but uh, the one that we really wanted to draw your attention to is um, the Future Vehicles 2030 session, um, which we're expecting to hold in July. And this will be forecasting eight characteristics of vehicles in the year 2030, including automation, connectivity, power source, and ownership models. And this is really groundbreaking work um, and it will be reviewed annually. So we're really excited to be almost ready to present that work. Um, if you are on our uh, email lists, uh, you'll certainly get notification of that. But if you're not, keep an eye on the website and we should have that um, session up in the next week or so, a couple of weeks probably. So um, thank you to all of our presenters. It's been a really fascinating discussion. So um, John, Mike, Mitchell, Prasanna and Phil, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for your questions. Um,
just as I close up, a questionnaire is going to pop up on your screens. Please do take uh, a few minutes to fill out the answers. It really helps us to shape the sessions and understand what works for you and what doesn't. Um, so thanks again and everybody stay safe and well and enjoy the rest of your day.